Hello everybody and welcome to the hashtag Built to Perform podcast. This is actually the third podcast that we've done. If you haven't seen the first two, they are available on the Sipsi blog. So if you go to the hashtag Built to Perform blog, which you can get via the Sipsi website, or if you have a look at Twitter, you'll be able to find several links there that might take you to the podcasts. So this time we are going to be talking about BIM. Uh, Jason Whittle, director of One Creative Environments, recently gave a definition of BIM Level 2 at a Sibsey West Midlands seminar on BIM in action, and that was delivered at the Chamber of Commerce in Birmingham. After, after this, but I think it's worth just spending a brief moment talking about what a BIM Level 2 project is because I hear people saying I'm delivering to Level 4, Level 7, all sorts of confusion, confusing terms out there. And for a project to be at BIM Level 2, well, there's a definition within PASS 1192 that says what it is. Obviously, you're not going to read that on, on, on the screen there. So I've got a, a summary of, of what that is. And this is a very crude summary, so excuse me. So for it to be a BIM Level 2 project, there has to be an assessment of the pl- supply chain capability. You have to ask the supply chain what their experience is and are they capable of providing data, is it Kobe, whatever it might be, you have to ask them what it is and you have to do that assessment. There has to be a clear employee's information requirement, so the client has to set out the information deliverables that they want. It says in there that the key decision points are to form part of the contract, so actually you've got to, ha- you've got to weave these requirements into the contract. It's no good just saying let's all start off and we'll do some modelling because BIM actually isn't just modelling. The model is just there. It's just a, uh, a place to host the data. Um, and it, the PAS 11.92 cites the CIC BIM protocol. Very simple document if anybody hasn't uh, seen that yet but that can be quite simply appended to your existing contracts for you to at least capture some basic form of BIM deliverables through it. It says that originated models should be sourced through linked or federated models. That means that the decisions that you take in producing your design have to be based upon linked models from from the rest of the supply chain. You shouldn't be working in isolation. There's a couple of examples about how you might do that within 11.92. The project has to have a BIM execution plan, and the BIM execution plan is a response to the employee's information requirements. You might have a BIM execution plan where there are no employee's information requirements, but it simply says how you're going to model and it won't cover data delivery. The BIM execution plan should be covering uh, when the data drops are going to be uh, delivered and who's going to deliver them and who's responsible for which element. A common data environment, so this is the place where we're hosting all the uh, data, so that's geometric models, uh, information, schedules, drawing. Everything should be in a central repository that is accessible to all the supply chain so they can get the latest information when they need it. You shouldn't be emailing drawings and models across to each other and sharing through Dropboxes and that sort of thing. Everybody should be using the common data environment to share information and, and obtain that. Interoperability between models. There are several examples uh, given, but right now in the industry, not all the software packages out there are talking to each other nicely. For BIM Level 2 delivery, that's not absolutely essential. When we start going into Level 3 in the coming years, that will start to become more essential. But at the moment, uh, we've got software packages uh, like Navisworks, where I'll be showing you an example where we can bring those models together and see, see how they perform. It talks about also the exchange as a minimum needs to be of COBE, so Construction Operation Building Information Exchange. That is an exchange of the raw data, so COBE is almost the lowest form of data. It's, it's a, basically a spreadsheet. If anybody's ever seen a COBE spreadsheet, it's, it's pretty dry, but it's the raw format of the data that is uh, extracted, and PDFs and, and native files. Being um, 
1192 it's a little bit of a catch-all at the end so the BIM level 2 definition is still evolving and information exchange can vary from project to project and I think that's that's fair enough because this was put into place uh, nearly three years ago now when and the market is still maturing so it's, it's right that uh, it should take into account of whatever is evolving uh, at, at the moment so that covers And uh, to help us in the studio, I have Carl Collins, who is a BIM consultant here at SIBSI. Um, so what is it that you do exactly with regards to BIM at SIBSI, just to sort of start off? Um, well, one of the things, well, so, several things we're looking at at the moment, um, certainly in terms of um, giving advice to building service engineers. There's uh, a lot of stuff out there for quite generic, um, non-discipline specific BIM. Uh, but we're looking to uh, increase the general knowledge base amongst building service engineers. Uh, we're looking to uh, provide some very specific guidance notes. We're looking to do some uh, e-learning modules and we're looking to provide some training for them as well. Fantastic. So just sort of generally increasing the knowledge about BIM and how, how it works and how it can help people, I suppose. Exactly, but with a specific building services angle to it because there's very little has been written specifically for building services engineers and we find that the requirements of building services engineers are subtly different from architects or structural engineers or landscape architects. So we're looking at it in a, a little bit more depth but with you know specific um, points about you know how you work this with airflows, with cabling, with data and that sort of stuff. Obviously some people will be familiar with BIM to different extents, some people have lots of knowledge about it and use it a lot, some people less so. So whereabouts are we in the industry right now with BIM would you say in terms of sort of deployment and the technology behind it? Well I think it uh, depends on two things, one who you ask and the other is how big the company they work for is. Sure. There's a lot of people working for the large companies, certainly the larger consultancies and large contractors. This is what they do day to day, every project, business as usual. But I talk to a lot of SMEs and I talk to a lot of manufacturers as well. And some of them are a little bit behind the curve, I think it's fair to say. A lot of them are recognising that this is important, that this is the future, but they haven't quite got on board with it yet. And certainly the stuff that we're uh, trying to do in terms of guidance and training is aimed quite heavily at the, the people working for the SMEs and the smaller manufacturers to make sure that they can come into the BIM tent with everybody else. I suppose that's kind of the, the larger end of the wedge, isn't it? You've got the sort of more capable sort of technology maybe and more resources, the, the small amount of really big companies, but then actually the majority of the industry are these small companies, aren't they? Well, yeah, it's certainly more than three quarters of our industry is SMEs. Mm. So um, while the big companies make a lot of noise, then that, that's only a, a small, relatively small percentage of the actual overall construction picture in the UK. So uh, I've got a blog in front of me actually that you wrote a couple of months ago now um, called The Digital Engineer, which of course you can find on the Sibsi blog if you look back. I think that was in June or July that that was written. And it says, for want of a better word, that BIM's a little bit dull these days to a certain extent. What did you mean by that when you... Uh... A lot of what people look at when they engage in BIM in a project is lots of form filling, which, to be perfectly honest, no one really enjoys. Now, it's all data, and that's what this is all about. It is about the data. And we have to start off on the right foot, so we have to generate some structured data, hence the form filling. But I think people are seeing that as the entirety of the picture, which it isn't. Um, so when you're completing, let's say, your pre-qualification questionnaires and thinking, oh my god, this BIM stuff is quite dull, 
yeah, okay, fair enough. That starting point, building those foundations, probably is quite dull. But what can come out of that is we're starting to build on this structured data so we can later on in the project when we get down to the exciting design and construction stuff, we can start to use this data in innovative ways. And I think that's one of the things that we'd really like to explore a lot more is how we actually use all of this data to move on from BIM towards digital engineering. How do you say that people can begin to sort of be digital engineers? I mean, if you're a small business or even a large business or anybody who's an engineer, what, what does it mean to be a digital engineer? I think start off with simple things. So, for example, if you've got a piece of data, it may be a project number, for mm. example. You can store that piece of data in one place and reference it to many applications. So let's say your project number is, for sake of argument, 42, and the client says, well, actually, what I want this project number to be is 52. You can change that data in one place and it will percolate through your entire project. And that's a really, really simple way of doing it, but it means that single piece of data exists in one place, used in multiple places, and your life starts to become easier. And that's what we're here to try and do, make people's lives easier. Indeed, yes. I mean, I think people have this sort of misconception that BIM, as you say, is a load of paperwork and legal stuff, when in fact it can be just as simple as organising your data in a more logical way in order to make things easier to do. Exactly. Um, there, there was a, an example I saw um, a, a couple of years ago, actually, we're looking at the um, fresh airflow uh, litres per second per person for a, a building, and that data was stored in three different places. Now, it, probably that wouldn't have been a huge problem, but the number in each of those three different places was different. Mm -hmm. So it was a problem. Yes. So again, you know, it's all about surety of what we do, ease of what we do, um, but also just making people's lives easier. And when you know where a piece of data is, you know where to go and find it to use it for multiple different things. So sure. we can use that liters per second per person to, to measure wellness of a space, if you like. We can use it to measure our air handling plant and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a useful thing to have used, you know, in, in a, a multifaceted multi way. Fantastic, yeah. I mean, um, you sort of touched on a point there that um, was what I was going to talk about next. This is flying very well, actually. Well done. <laughs> you're, you're anticipating my every move. Um, I was just trying to sort of explore as to where BIM comes in in building performance, because it, it can be used that way, can't it? It, 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 it certainly can, and I think um, part of where uh, BIM is going, um, when you look at it in the bigger picture, when you start to talk about digital built Britain and soft landings and things like that, is we design buildings to certain performance criteria. And what's happened uh, in the not too distant past is we've designed to that criteria, the building gets constructed and commissioned and then doesn't perform as we expected it to. Sure. And I think one of the things to look for in the future is um, certainly with the advent of the Internet of Things and that sort of stuff, where you can actually measure the performance against how you design the building. And so maybe we can apply some lessons learned and actually the buildings that we design are the things that get built. Because there's more and better data available to all of the design team, mm. things don't get missed or value engineered where the value actually was in the original design. Yeah, sure. I mean, so in terms of the future of BIM then, what, what, what do you think sort of in the next, say, five years is going, to be, uh, is going to be the next big thing? Well, I think certainly the next five years is going to be more of a consolidation piece. I think um, getting the SMEs and the sole traders up to speed with what we're trying to do, make it a little bit less scary, make it more applicable to the smaller project, I think that's going to be the trick in the near future.
Also now we're starting to think, as I mentioned earlier about Digital Built Britain, which roughly equates us to level three BIM, and how that will um, pan out, what that's going to look like. Certainly with level two, the idea was that it changed as little as possible in terms of contracts and process. Level three turns that on its head. The Digital Built Britain piece will change contracts. It will change the way we price and procure and fund projects. So that's, a, that's probably a, a big, exciting piece of work, but that's probably a little bit further out than five years from now. Okay, so in terms of sort of actions then for the future, what, what do you think needs to be done to make BIM get to that point? I guess it depends where you are on your BIM journey. If you're fairly well progressed, like the, the large consultancies and contractors, and, and to an extent the bigger manufacturers are, then working that data, making that data um, make your company a more efficient company, mm. that starts to harvest some of the benefits of the work we've already done and of the investment that people have made. There are companies that have made some massive investments in BIM. Let's get some of that investment to give us a return. I think that's really important. If, if you're at, near the beginning of your BIM journey, then I think you need to seriously think, how am I going to engage with my project partners who are BIM ready? You know, there was a, a quote some time ago now at the Charter Institute of Builders where someone said BIM is a Darwin moment. And what we don't want to see is a lot of the SMEs that provide those unique and very specialist products getting self-selected. Mm. out of the, the construction market. So I think there's an element of getting on board with the simple and basic aspects of BIM and not being overawed by some of the things that look like a huge task, but actually once you've done it once, you've probably done it for most of your projects. Sure. And, and I guess I suppose there's, a, there's a, an element of the bigger manufacturers and bigger uh, users of BIM pulling up the smaller ones as well and sort of helping increase the knowledge out there. Absolutely. Um, in a, in a way actually reminds me of the early days of the internet when <laughs> it was all fields and that's yeah. all parameters. <laughs> um, but it's certainly helping others helps yourself. Mm. And you know, that's been uh, certainly the way I've been working for, for many years now, is if we can help our supply chains and design and construction partners to get to where we are in our BIM journey, that actually helps us. Mm. There's a return on that. Um, it's only a small investment, but they appreciate it. We work well together. The whole purpose of this is collaboration. It's playing nice and sharing, and that's really important. And to do that, sometimes you need to give a little bit of your time and expertise up to help those other guys along. Sure, because I suppose if you're talking about the supply chain, it's only as good as the entire chain is, is and that way it works. So if you've got one that's sort of a, a Ferrari in terms of its BIM and one that's less so other models of luxury car are available I must say but um, if it's you know really we've got one that's really good at BIM one that's less good at BIM and some people that just don't do it at all that it's sort of the benefits get less and less as you've got fewer people doing it. Exactly um, yeah it, it is a supply chain and that's the point of this that you know that chain is only as strong as its weakest link and if you spot a weak link in, in your supply chain help them along it makes everything better. Well, that's about all we've got time for in this particular episode. Uh, if you would like to listen to this or any other of the podcasts that we've done so far, please do head over to the Sibsi blog. You'll find a short blog accompanying this podcast to explain a few of the principles and link you to some useful resources. So that's about, as I say, all we've got time for. So uh, thank you very much to Carl for coming along and giving us some thoughts about BIM. And we will see you next time.